Hello, my name's Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Friday the 20th of January. Coming up on today's show, I have um, an exclusive interview with Guy Kawasaki, who many of you will know, a bit of a, a marketing guru, currently a venture capitalist, and we also talk to him about his days as an Apple evangelist, one of the early Apple guys, uh, in the 80s I think he was there. So interesting to hear his views, he's got some uh, excellent advice for startups um, linked to his book The Art of the Start, which I guess many of you will be familiar with. So. Uh, looking forward to that. But first and foremost, uh, I suppose a very happy new year to new uh, and existing listeners. So thank you very much for joining me this year. hope you'll continue to listen. Uh, it's been a little while this podcasting coming, but uh, I've got two or three backed up. So as usual, there'll be regular shows coming out probably two a month, I would say, uh, through the course of this year at a minimum. Uh, so I hope you're all well. And uh, for new listeners, basically Small Biz Pod is a podcast that focuses on small business, enterprise, and startup uh, interviews, opinion, uh, and advice. Really, a, a show designed to to give you some inspiration for your business. If you wanted to to put it in Guy Kawasaki um, mantra terms, I suppose Small Biz Pod could be described as inspiration for entrepreneurs now on to uh, this week's comments uh, first of all thank you to all 19 of you who've already uh, signed up or put your flag post in the frapper map um, I'd encourage anyone to, to do that it's really entertaining to see where everyone's from we've got people in North America um, South America um, uh, quite a few in the UK obviously the Far East, Hong Kong, China, I suppose, and, and Taiwan. Um, no one in Australia, which surprises me. If there are any Aussies out there who listen, stick your flag post in the map. That would be great. Um, and any other listeners, it would be, be, be good to, to see you there. So always interesting to see who's listening. Um, so take a look at the Frapper map if you haven't done already. Um, and I just wanted to say thanks to several people who've emailed me with comments. Um, uh, Bob at Backpacking Light said, uh, thanks for the shout on the recent cast. The interview with the Russian diamond person in the club sounded ace. Really good radio, mainly because you were so surprised by what you were hearing. One for the vaults, I think. So thanks very much, Bob. And I hope your pack Backpacking Light podcast is going well. And in fact, I know it is going well. So uh, well done for that. Um, thanks also to uh, Carl Barton, who checked in, the Small Biz Pod roving reporter, you'll remember. And um, also Lauren Pecorino, um, who was one of the interviewees on the last podcast, um, and she uh, enjoyed listening to the show. So thanks, Lauren, for your feedback uh, on that. And then um, I also have some comments posted on the Small Biz Pod um, blog at www.smallbizpod.co.uk. Um, one which I think might be spam, but I'll read it out anyway. Nice quality podcast. I stumbled upon your site moments ago. Let's see some pics for the event. Cheers and all the best. Um, actually, no, that probably isn't spam. I just couldn't um, link to the uh, homepage there. I don't know who that's from, but thank you anyway. 
Um, and then one from David Cruikshank, who says, Hi, Alex. Happy New Year. Um, I'm a new listener and look forward to your regular Small Biz podcasts. The variety of your recent interviews has reminded me from my consulting days how interesting every business can be if you ask the right questions. Um, and I think that I, you know, I really agree with you there, David. Um, uh, one of the, the, the reasons why I set up Small Biz Pod in the first case is because I just love the stories that entrepreneurs and small businesses, small business owners have to tell about, um, setting up and starting up. It's just, they're just really fascinating, um, human stories, um, and you know we can we can add some uh, inspiration and, and information which I hope will help listeners too. Uh, David goes on to say, I run an online small business software business at uh, www.businessitonline.com and it strikes me that the adoption of online software is happening at a similar pace as blogging and podcasting. Keep casting and I look forward to your next instalment. Well, yeah, that's quite interesting, David, because I think that... Uh, this whole online software delivery, I mean, there's a, there are Google have released Google Pack, I think, recently. Um, and there's a lot of speculation that they may actually begin to think about challenging the kind of Microsoft Office uh, monopoly. Well, it's not quite a monopoly. Well, it probably is a monopoly, actually. But uh, uh, so, yeah, um, online software uh, delivery online, that's certainly something that's growing. Um, and uh, good luck with that. And we may come back to that topic, too, at a future episode. So thanks very much for your um, comment there, David. And that is about it for comments uh, for this week. Okay, so I'm really delighted to welcome to Small Biz Pod today uh, Guy Kawasaki, who uh, many of you, I guess, will know. Um, Guy was with Apple in the 80s as, as one of their chief evangelists, um, and uh, since then he's, he's become somewhat of a, a marketing and entrepreneurial guru, I'd say. Um, so he's, he's been a successful entrepreneur, and he's, he's now managing director of uh, a venture capital firm called Garage Technology Ventures. Um, and uh, many of you may know him as a, a best-selling author also, um, or, and his most recent book is called The Art of the Start. Um, and to use the, the strap line of the book, um, it's, it's billed as the, the time-tested, battle-hardened guide for anyone starting anything. So um, hopefully today's conversation will be uh, useful and interesting to, uh, to listeners of Small Biz Pod. Um, Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. My pleasure. Um, one of the things that I've, uh, or the, there are many elements that I, uh, I enjoy about your various um, thoughts and, uh, and theories on entrepreneurship in particular, but um, I, I like in particular your idea about mantras, not mission statements. Now, um, what would Guy Kawasaki's mantra be, uh, at least at the moment? Yeah, my personal mantra is empower entrepreneurs. So I have it down to two words. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I was kind of you're uh, you're making haikus look like war and peace, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> Okay, no, that's 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 good. Um, so, uh, just to just to cover a bit of background, I mean, so I, I suspect most listeners will 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 know of you. Um, some, however, may not. Um, you you worked at Apple on two occasions, as far as I can tell. Yes. Um, and tell us a little bit a bit about what you learned there that has been most valuable to you in in your business life since. Okay. Well, I worked at Apple for. 
two times, once from 1983 to 1987 when I was a software evangelist, second time from 95 to 97 where I was the chief evangelist of Apple. And I guess I learned in the Mac division in particular that uh, one was a harsh list and that the best product doesn't win necessarily. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I learned, um, a more positive lesson, is that when people fall in love with a product like a Macintosh and it becomes a cause for them, they will move heaven and earth for you. And that yeah. is the power of evangelism. So was it, was it tougher the second time around? Well, it was tough each time um, <laughs> for different reasons. The second time I was brought in because Apple was supposed to die yet another time. And so my efforts there were to preserve the Macintosh cult. The first time, no one thought Apple was going to die, but everyone thought that uh, you know, Macintosh would be a difficult sell to both developers and to end users. Mm, mm. So were you, did you coincide second time around with Steve Jobs' second coming? Or? We overlapped uh, a few months, yeah. but uh, to put it mildly, with Steve Jobs back, you know, they don't exactly need me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and I've heard you say that, that Apple's survival is um, proof of a benevolent god, which was, which was quite a nice little aphorism. Um, I just wondered who you thought was on Microsoft's side. <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh, there is an obvious answer. Uh, I actually believe that Apple survival is proof of a benevolent God, and uh, Microsoft's existence is proof that this benevolent God believes in free will. That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and it avoids one of your, one of your, uh, uh, your top tips, and that is don't, don't diss the opposition. <laughs> That was a diss, believe me. Was it? Well, yes. It's a subtle diss, but a diss nonetheless. Damning with faint praise, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So if we move on to to some of the sort of themes from uh, The Art of the Start and and, uh, themes that that I see you're also sort of uh, extending and extrapolating on your your blog, which has attracted lots of interest over its very short life so far – um, tell tell us a little bit about what you mean by every business should have a, a mantra, not a not a mission statement. What, why is yes. that important? Yes, you know most organizations, big or small, uh, early stage or you know mature, somehow have it in their brains that they need to create a mission statement. And this mission statement typically is a is a group effort, and it comes out oh, 25 to 60 words long. And I think that that is totally useless. That no one can remember the mission statement. You know, I, I've been in meetings with entrepreneurs, and I've asked them, what's your mission statement? And they've had to go look it up. <laughs> so uh, I rest my case. Yeah. I think a mantra, which is only three or four words long, is much more effective. The purpose of a mantra is to explain the reason for the existence of the company. And as we started off this podcast earlier, my existence is the reason for my existence as a business person is to empower entrepreneurs uh, other companies, uh, for example, Nike has a mantra of authentic athletic performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's absolutely necessary. The test for a mantra is that you could ask Trixie or Biff, whoever is running the front desk, you know, what is a mantra or what is, why does your company exist? And they could repeat it to you because I can pretty much guarantee you that they could not repeat a mission statement. 
Yeah, and, and I suppose also by, by extension, it's easier even for consumers to remember. It almost becomes part of the brand. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's true for everything. I mean, I can't, I, I can't see a downside to creating a mantra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other area that you, that you talk about is um, uh, the importance of uh, businesses of all sizes actually, um, to, to put it very simply, making a, making a difference, actually um, doing something that has a positive impact. Um, could, you, could you say a little bit about, about your thinking behind that? Yes, it's been my experience that the companies that do succeed are the ones where the founders want to make meaning as opposed to simply make money uh, for themselves. And so one of my uh, recommendations is that entrepreneurs do some soul-searching and figure out what kind of meaning they're going to make in the world with their companies, whether it is to increase the uh, productivity and creativity of their customers or to end bad things. In my case, in the Macintosh, you know, the thing we wanted to end was the MS-DOS C-Prompt mm-hmm. because we thought that was not exactly optimal user interface. Um, and sometimes it is to prolong good things. But it's along those three lines um, that making meaning occurs. And um, linked to this, um, uh, is every, bu- every new business, are they all entrepreneurial enterprises? And does this kind of making meaning approach and other elements that you talk about apply to every business? I mean, if you're, if you're setting up your, um, I don't know, a new um, uh, sushi bar or a new fish and chip shop if you're in the UK, um, uh, can you make meaning from that? Well, uh, a meaning is sort of in the eye of the beholder, right? I mean, yeah. uh, could I, I must admit, if you're if you're starting a new dry cleaning um, store, it's it may be a stretch to make meaning. Although, you know, who am I to prejudge a dry cleaner? Uh, I heard a story last night that when uh, John F. Kennedy was visiting NASA, he met a janitor, and he asked <laughs> the janitor what he did there. And the janitor said, I'm putting a man on the moon. Yeah. yeah. Now, you could make the case of what could the janitor do. I mean, he's cleaning the toilets, right? Yeah. And emptying the trash cans. Yeah. Or you could look at it like the janitor was helping put a man on the moon. So it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, I, 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 you know, when, when Rocky Aoki started his first Benihana, um, I don't know if he thought he was making meaning, but he certainly has succeeded in putting up a lot of Benny Hanna's, and at least to the employees, yeah. in the form of employment, uh, he has made meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I some, agree. You know, sometimes when we're in technology and you know creating Googles of the world, you start taking yourself too seriously, and you start believing that you know only what you do is important, and that's crap. Mm. I mean. Mm. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, so, I mean, you see, presumably, in your in your current job at, at, at Garage Technology Ventures, you you see uh, a lot of early stage businesses. Would that yeah. be right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think of them? Are their their most sort of common mistakes? What 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 really kind of turns you off in terms well, of? Well, the, the what really turns me off is when they come in with a presentation that has sixty slides in it. Yeah. Uh, because. You know that's just not humanly possible to go through in an in an hour 
I have formulated the what I call the 10-20-30 rule, which is 10 slides giveable in 20 minutes using the 30-point font. Hmm. Uh, but that, that's only about presentations. I think the classic mistake they make is they always, always underestimate how long and how hard it will be to get significant revenue. Yeah. I have never seen an entrepreneur say in six months, you know, we'll be doing X dollars per month and achieve it. Is there an element of them, though, want, uh, expecting that VCs will expect that kind of swift revenue? Or, or, you know, is there a certain amount of sort of um, self-fulfilling prophecy going both ways there? Uh, or, yes. or Yeah. Yes, there's certainly an element of that. I mean, if you, if you were truthful and told VC it's going to take five years to get any significant revenue, you know, very few VCs would uh, be interested. Mm. So I'm not saying it's an easy problem, but boy, once in my life I'd like to see someone make their budget. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, I, you know, it's just part of the game. But basically, when an entrepreneur says, this is my projection, I add one year to the delivery time and I multiply by 10%. Well, that's as long as everyone's playing by the same rules. <laughs> then, well, then, you know, now, now entrepreneurs having heard that, they might subtract a year from the yeah. delivery time and multiply by ten. So, uh, okay. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting an interesting relationship that one. Uh, and whilst we're on the subject of, of VC, I know um, you're a big fan, as I am, of of the the, the concept of bootstrapping. Yes. Um and um. I wondered where bootstrapping ends and venture capital begins, from your perspective. Well, uh, in a in a perfect world, a company remains or continues to have a bootstrapping mentality, right? Yeah. And uh, it may never end. Uh, I, you know, venture capital is not for everyone, and um, it, a good test would be without. Taking too many hard drugs, can you imagine your business doing two, three hundred million dollars of revenue per year? Um, this is why. Let's take an example of a web website design firm. Yeah. You, know, you could imagine that a website design firm could be doing several million dollars in consulting fees. It's hard to imagine it's going to be doing four hundred million dollars in fees. So the company can be viable but not fundable. Yeah. Um, and and that's the issue that most people just don't want to face. Uh, a restaurant, uh, uh, a clothing store, a web design firm, a shareware product could be perfectly viable businesses. Yeah, they just aren't "quote unquote" VC businesses. So, um, when you see early stage businesses that that you you make a, a judgment call on that you believe are are going to you know create create value and be worth be worth funding from your point of view. Um, are they usually at such an early stage that they're that you're taking a punt on on a product that's not yet there, or have they have they actually uh, developed something and got customers already through the door? Well, it, it varies. You know, every time it's unique. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but generally speaking, the more developed you can come in, the better it is. Uh, especially if you're the first time entrepreneur. The, the second or third time entrepreneur. We're willing to take a leap of faith. Yeah. Uh, but the first-time entrepreneur who has nothing more than PowerPoint and a dreamy look in his or her <laughs> eye, um, it is venture capital is fundamentally a leap of faith. 
we don't mind leaping off a diving board. We prefer not jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> right. So uh, to the extent you can reduce the vertical drop is always a good thing. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, moving on a little bit, um, one of the things that I certainly find kind of refreshing about about your, your blog and books and so on and so forth is that y although you know, the, some of the ideas are, uh, are new or you, you, you hadn't necessarily thought of them before. Um, they're actually not that complicated uh, to me anyway. <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm oversimplifying, no, I, yeah. but, um, I was just wondered whether you, cause I, I, my, my view is that very often businesses overcomplicate and reading you, it seems to be quite, quite simple advice, even though it's advice that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of before. Well, I, you know, this is a guy who says, to get your whole reason for existence down to three words, right? So yeah. Imagine, I believe in simplicity. Um, that's a positive way of looking at what I do. You know, some people have made the claim that I have not had an original thought in any of my writing. But, you know, it may be true that after several thousand years of commerce that maybe there aren't any original thoughts. Um, yeah. it's, it's how you package the old thoughts. And so maybe I'm just a good packager. Good communicator, then. <laughs> <laughs> message yeah i mean how how you say things does make a make a big difference one would hope yeah. if people can't understand what you're talking about that's sort of never going to work is it yes um okay um so uh you launch your blog which is at um blog.guykawasaki.com um and uh it's already already creating a few waves there were some a couple of particularly good posts to kick off the year on the sort of top 10 lies of venture capitalists and then the top 10 lies of um startup owners mm -hmm. uh which which created a bit of a buzz um so you're obviously you've obviously sussed out this blogging this blogging tactic <laughs> <laughs> Um, why did it, wh why are you, you know, what, what was it that prompted you to set up a blog now? Well, uh, I just got worn down. Um, I've been asked for years to blog and I just, you may find this hard to believe, but in a rare moment of Guy Kawasaki humility, <laughs> uh, I looked at many people's blogs and to a large extent, their blog is, well, I woke up today and I went to this conference and I saw Bill Gates and, you know, he said this and this and I don't believe him and here's why. And, mm. and you know, it's like everybody thinks that what they have to say is worth reading. Mm -hmm. So one of the inherent arrogances of blogging is that a blogger has to believe I'm important, I'm significant, and people want to read what I want to say. Yeah. And it took me years to get over that arrogance to think that, you know, people would give a rat's butt about what I have to say every day. So, um, so I guess my excuse is that I'm a humble person. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, won't, you won't find many people who agree with that theory, but, you know, truly, I guess truly an arrogant person believes he's humble. Um, so anyway, so it took me years to do it, and now that I've done it, you know, I'm getting about... 10,000 people a day to my blog, which, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know much about blogging, so that could be a very good number or it could be a, you know, lousy number. I have I, no idea, but people tell me it's a good number. It is. So. It's not It's not bad. You're not doing too yeah. badly there, I think. Um, and uh, one of the things, I suspect one of the reasons that, that uh, well, other than your other than your own sort of um, notoriety, is that um, th th one of the reasons that you, you're getting a big readership is because a lot of the information there is um, 
practical, informative, useful advice rather than simply opinion. I mean, it's linked to your opinions on on the topic of entrepreneurship, sure. but nevertheless, there's a lot of there's a lot of useful stuff there, and I think yeah. I think blogs that are useful people like returning to. Well, uh, I promise you that my blog will always be useful, and I will very seldom, if ever, dip into the. G I M neat. Let me tell you what I think about something I don't know that much about. Yeah. Uh, my blog will never do that. That's... Well, never is a long time, but <laughs> it will seldom do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I do this podcast. I do, I do very little talking and invite guests who know what they're talking on about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Well, one final question, uh, which I can't resist because it links podcasting and venture capital. Um, Adam Curry and Podshow and the, the Kleiner Sequoia deal, um, do you reckon it's a smart investment or a risky waste of $9 million? Well, you know, I, I think podcasting is here to stay. Uh, I, I, who am I to argue with Kleiner Perkins? Mm. I mean, you know, if you just followed Kleiner Perkins around and captured the crumbs that fell off their table, you would do all right. <laughs> so uh, I am optimistic that they did a good investment there. Okay. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for your time today, very Guy, well. and uh, continued luck with your blog. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. That just about wraps up the show for today. Uh, as ever, uh, do feel free to comment. Always appreciate your comments, suggestions, advice, tips, uh, suggestions for people to interview. Uh, you can send comments to me at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk uh, or you can leave a comment on the Small Biz Pod blog um, at www.smallbizpod.co.uk. Uh, do stick your pin in the Frapper map as well. Uh, that's always good fun and entertaining and uh, cheers me up when I see people uh, sticking their pin in, so to speak. So, uh, Please go ahead and do that. Um, and finally, just wondered whether any of you guys out there have a thought on the design of the Small Biz Pod site. It's a new year, and I'm looking at perhaps uh, establishing a new template for the blog, making things clearer and easier for you to find your way around. If you've got any thoughts on that, do send them through either as a comment or direct to me by email. And that just leaves me to introduce this week's music from Electromancer.com. It's a track called Strange Forest Fruit by Yellow Goose. <laughs> 